Welcome, Jubilee readers, to Let's Read Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man, a division of Let's Read Spider-Man, a proud member of the PacePod Patreon Podcast Network. If you like this podcast, you can also enjoy a podcast about making money. Absolutely. I'm ready, James B. Each week, join Eddie Hasbacher, hey. host of his hit podcast called Building a Fence, as he interviews <laughs> underworld contacts and discusses even more lucrative dealings with his new co-host, Elmo Twig, known as 10% Elmo, who discusses how to lowball offers on rubies and gold notebooks. Listen to Eddie and Elmo on Eddie and Elmo's Easy Money Podcast, Tuesdays at midnight on the PacePot Patreon Podcast Network. Here I thought I was out of the fencing game. Uh, try to pull me back in. Elmo Twig, though, he's got a great name. I, I can't complain about that, but James B., Let's talk about our books instead today. From April of 1986, Stanley presents Peter Parker the Spectacular Spider-Man 113, Mayhem, by Peter David and Bob McCloy. Before I begin this summary, I just want to remind listeners, Ernie Popchick has been in many Spider-Mans recently. He's the guy that he became very afraid after he was assaulted by some thugs and went to court. Matt Murdock helped the thugs get off. And then he actually shot three individuals with his World War II revolver that then sent him back into court, but Matt Murdock said he would uh, help him out again. So he, he's in this story, and he's in trouble, but he can't blast his way out of the, this problem. Uh, the press is hounding him for an interview, and over at the Bugle, Catherine Cushing and Joy Mercado know that Peter Parker has the best shot at getting the exclusive. Joy and Peter head to Forest Hills to get the scoop while the embarrassed hoodlums that Pop Chick shot also head to Long Island to seek revenge. Do you like that Ernie Pop Chick is an old man who has his own storyline and he then gets involved in with all the old people that are Aunt May's friends? Or do you think it would be more interesting if we just took one of the existing Aunt May people and put them in the story as the person who shot them, you know? I am always amazed at how much bandwidth Aunt May's borders take up in these books and old people in general. Like, <laughs> I don't know why this is such a theme in Spider-Man, quite frankly, but I'm happy that it's Ernie Popchick and the rest of the borders because, you know, they seem to be more important than I thought they were going to be. Okay, thanks. Yeah. The Black Cat is back to robbing. So, so good to see a Spidey's former love interest. She's not robbing for her own sake. This time, she is robbing to give her profits to the orphanage. I miss her. <laughs> During her holdup, she gets a tip-off about the, quote, foreigner, a master assassin. I hope she's careful when she goes to look for this guy. Meanwhile, the hoodlums break into Aunt May's boarding house and take the elderly residents hostage. The police surround the building. The elderly often challenge their captors with harsh tones in very risky ways. Sometimes people are saying like, you know, don't upset them. And then that same person is saying something very upsetting to one of the hostages. Uh, so it's one of the hostage takers. Spider-Man quietly and efficiently takes out the baddies one by one until he gets to the leader. He webs and neutralizes the leader's gun. But then Nathan Lubinsky pulls open the blinds so the cops outside can see the leader clearly. And he's exposed with a gun in his hand. And in a very questionable move on TV or in real life, the police, with no information 
and very reasonable demands. Instead, take the shot, putting all the hostages, I think, in danger. I'm very upset at the police for this action, and Aunt May is upset with Nathan because of this. Uh, what upsets me is that the lead of Hoodlum, who I think his name is Gregory, insinuates that Nathan isn't a man because his paralyzed neither regions are unable to satisfy Aunt May. It's so unnecessary to bring this up. It does bring him to a level of grossness, like a yucky dark theme, that I just found very discomforting in already a book that is quite disturbing. The ending, like you said, Nathan basically kills this guy. Yeah, and speaking of this whole situation about the fiancé and Nathan not being a man, Aunt May calls Nathan her fiancé. Are, are these guys waiting a few years to get married, Eddie? Am I missing something? What's going on? Why I don't remember. If they're fiancé, why aren't they just getting married? Yeah, I, I don't understand either. There shouldn't be anything that's holding them up. I guess it's the constant strife that they're put in mm. in the I house. You know. too. Pop yeah. Chick getting in trouble. Nathan's been beat up recently in the hospital. Aunt May was... She was taken by Smythe's son with a spider slayer. I mean, these are pretty traumatic events for that that household. Well, I know that I commented I was upset with the police taking the shot, which I think is just ridiculous. And sometimes, due to a plot device, we want to have a situation where Nathan is sort of responsible for the murder because he opened the blinds. I, I think there's no way the cops are shooting a hostage taker in a room full of hostages where they don't have eyes on anything else. There's like four people in there with guns. We got one guy. Let's shoot the one guy. No way. But, but there were some good things about this book. I think this could have been just a boring hostage scene. Like, Oh, I got a hostage. Yes. They made this very interesting with all the conversations that the hostages were having with the, you know, with the hoodlums <laughs> and with, with each other and the stress and the, the police. Like they, they made this like, one scene into a big book and i thought they did a really good job with that so overall i thought this was very interesting yeah a wily wily residents of aunt may's house never a dull moment so <laughs> and and it and so many people were spider-man and and company so it felt like it was a spider-man book not just a wedged story and i hope this next book feels the same way and that's from may of 1986 stanley presents peter parker the spectacular spider-man 114 the key Written by Len Kaminsky, penciled by Joe Brazowski, and inked by Keith Williams and Del Barris. The son of a locksmith, Mark Noletti, attempts a break-in but accidentally comes across a gang being harassed by a cop, Officer Polanski, with dubious morals. Spider-Man saves the cop, and the young Mark decides to break into Peter Parker's apartment. There, he finds Peter's spare Spider-Man paraphernalia, Knowing full well that this is authentic Spider-Man stuff, Mark decides to... James B., what did you think he was going to do? He kind of holds it up. So I thought he was going to wear the costume in some effort to make money, but I wasn't sure after that. I didn't know if he would like be signing autographs or be a burglar. I just knew he was going to wear the costume. What did you think he was going to do? I, I thought he'd like take it and try to sell it to the Bugle or Jay Jonah or expose spider-man like to the kingpin or something <laughs> i did not think he was going to use spider-man stuff like you did to break into a seventh floor apartment uh but that's what mark does things unsurprisingly don't go well and he's captured by the police the local cops bring faux spider-man mark in and the corrupt polanski 
from earlier uh, dismisses them. He takes fake Spider-Man Mark to rough up a gang, but obviously Mark stands no chance against a group of thugs. Let me interrupt here. He doesn't know that's fake Spider-Man. True. He doesn't know that. Yes. Okay. Uh, in this positive story, Spider-Man saves the pair, and young Mark is sent on the straight and narrow by Spidey, and Mark takes Spider-Man's advice to start a very uh, profitable career in electronics. Yeah. Mark and the officer Polanski there both have a change of heart about how they're leading their own lives. It's really supposed to be a feel-good story by the end. I think they do a good job with that. I, I'd like to mention, he uses the, uh, Spider-Man, you know, uses the Peter Parker and I have a deal story to explain why the costume was there. And Peter's identity is not known to this kid going forward. I really thought it was going to be, this guy would be like, okay, I'll keep your secret in this everyone knows Spider-Man is Peter yes. Parker era. I didn't see this resolution coming when he explains it to him, but it seems plausible to me. I agree that it's plausible and also agree that it seemed like Mark was going to know who Spider-Man was. Absolutely. (laughs) But in a turn of events from the past, he does not. (laughs) So I thought this was actually an okay book as well. It definitely was a book that was written and I'm pretty sure just pulled out and slammed in here because it doesn't tie in any of the other stories at all. And it's written by Len Kaminsky and penciled by Joe Brozowski and a bunch of other people I've never heard of. (laughs) So I think this was just sitting on the back burner with like, Hey, you want to do something? Go write a Spider-Man story that wraps up and gets back to end, you know, it together. Exactly. Um, (laughs) However, this next book is not just going to be a one shot. It's from June of 1986. Stan Lee presents Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Man 115, Things Fall Apart, by Peter David, Mark Beecham, and Bob McLeod. Doctor Strange is on the cover. We haven't seen him in a while. Usually this is an inauspicious sign, but I'll let you know right now, I liked Doctor Strange in this book. We begin with a nasty drama involving a young woman nearly sexually assaulted by a gang who Spider-Man thankfully dispatches james b here i am with another dark theme like we got in the first book with kidnapping and nathan allowing gregory to be shot although you didn't think so but so be it not only does the narrator describe the woman as having a dumpy figure but this gang is gross they are also wearing superhero masks which makes it seem even more disturbing uh i'm just not sure what to make of these societal collapse themes that are going on i it's it's not fun though we then meet the foreigner who revels in the opportunity to give his associates uncomfortable decisions while also receiving the golden notebook peter has recently pawned Uh, we quickly move to randy robinson introducing his new wife to his surprised dad at least that Went over tastefully. (laughs) Across town, Karen Cushing has sent Joy Mercado and Peter Parker to investigate a story involving child abuse and a concerned teacher. Another dark theme. I have not included this side story in my summaries because I thought it would fade away. And quite frankly, I didn't want to talk about more depressing things. But it is developing into a major plot point. Do you want to talk about it, James B.? The concerned Mr. Estevez and abusive dad, Wolcott, and his son, Alexander. Well, you're ahead of me in these books, but 
I think the takeaway here is that the dad is doing science experiments. He doesn't realize his son has been infected somehow. Uh, he's got some kind of powers from his dad's experiments. Not Again, the dad's doing them separately, not on the kid. But he's a lousy dad. So I think they're trying to tell us as readers, don't be upset when something bad happens to this guy. Oh, uh, I will not be upset. Uh, who else in this story? Uh, what? Felicia Harding gets a reintroduction with a full-page spread of her new workout outfit, which is very 80s, while also restating her Robin Hood robbing mentality. Let me jump in here for a second. You talk about a full-page spread of her new, her new workout outfit. Did you realize who the, who the artist was again? It's got to be uh, Beecham, right? Yes, because <laughs> they're all... There's points where she literally is facing backwards and she like turns her head over her shoulder. <laughs> Rather than facing forward. So I'm like, uh, unbelievable. <laughs> and I check every time. I'm always like, let me just go check. Let me see. But I know before I check. It is. <laughs> Using her bad luck powers, she is easily able to break into the foreigner's safe. But as she comes upon some guards, we quickly turn to Spider-Man visiting Doctor Strange. Peter has been unusually unlucky lately. And Doctor Strange confirms he is somehow jinxed. Using the Eye of Agmato, he cures Spider-Man of his bad luck, but warns uh, it may have affected the source. Yeah, and Spider-Man's like, yeah, I don't care. <laughs> I, can't, I don't want to be jinxed. But I don't really care about well, the Well, it's probably somebody that caught me at one point or another. <laughs> well, like, whatever, just do it. Back in the foreigner's headquarters, one of the guards takes a big swing at Felicia and to her surprise, connects. Her bad luck powers are gone, and we end as it appears she will be captured by the foreigner. What a very acceptable amount of Dr. Strange in this book. <laughs> he only appears in seven panels, but does something super important and interesting. Yeah, let me talk about this book a little bit because you had a really long summary here. Yes. I agree. It was really weird that the book started off with the disruptive, disturbing gang attacking this woman. I have no idea what that is and why it had to be in here. The Golden Notebook, I was excited to see it come back. I love to see Karen Cushing and Joy Mercado are just like really laying into Peter for not having these photographs. He always has a reason why he couldn't take these pictures because he was fighting or blurry or something like that. And he's really on the ropes in the storyline here uh, quite a bit. The Black Cat... Uh, and Mark Beecham, by the way, jarring her. Uh, he does a great job jarring her. Don't get me wrong. I don't have a problem with <laughs> that at all. I just know I recognize, you know, he's he just must just be called in a jar like a lot of the, the girl character type pictures and stuff like that. But when they're throwing the punch, Eddie, you know, the punch is firing at her slowly. And Doctor Strange is like sucking away her powers at the same time. Yes. And then it hits her. I'm surprised though it didn't just knock her out. It's sort of right. like she hits the ground. So she's like, oh, I guess my powers are gone. I'm like, you should have been decimated by this punch but these these books to me i thought they were three good books the first one had a lot of dialogue and it concludes a storyline you know with the characters ernie popchick and everybody we knew that kind of ends that story the middle book which was the one shot had an interesting situation it was kind of a you know what happens if spider-man's costume is stolen storyline uh, right. had a clean ending everything kind of wrapped up nicely as much as you complain about the the creepy books <laughs> This one had a really like a happy ending. And this last book had the black cat in it, a ton of Daily Bugle characters, and it was moving a lot of plots along. 
uh, I am sorry that overall, though, it was kind of disturbing to you. It was so dark, and young Eddie did not enjoy these themes either. I, I, I'm just confused a little bit as to who the audience is for uh, these books, because, I mean, rape, murder, child abuse, and then, of course, you know, it, it, these are things that I don't know if someone under the age of 15 would really enjoy reading about a whole bunch. So, I, you know, you know, Peter Parker, the spectacular Spider-Man, just to reiterate, was invented because they were going to take Jerry Conway and put him back on Amazing Spider-Man. But right. Len Wein was was doing Amazing Spider-Man and Conway's like, leave him there. I'll just do my own book. So they put him on Peter Parker, the spectacular Spider-Man, which is a second title. So they could talk about the stories of Spider-Man and his friends right. and everything. And then Conway left like abruptly, before, very soon. abruptly, yeah. you know, three issues in or something like that. So they don't really know what to do with all these books. And they probably said, listen, this is the Kingpin's book. Okay. True. We've got the Kingpin and the black cat running around and they're sort of edgy characters. And we had the, the, the sin eater just recently right. killing yeah. uh, Gene DeWolf and everybody seemed to like that. So they're like, let's just keep going dark with Peter Parker, the spectacular Spider-Man. Right. Young Eddie will have to deal with it. <laughs> Fair assessment, James B. Fair assessment. Wow. Well, I could be completely wrong. And if people want to complain <laughs> about my assessment, where could they reach us? You could email us at letsreadspiderman at gmail.com or click on the link in this podcast description to join our Discord channel and connect with us through social media. And I'm James B. joined by Eddie. And remember, listeners, that Let's Read Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man is a division of Let's Read Spider-Man, a proud member of the PacePot Patreon Podcast Network. The PacePot Patreon Podcast Network is home to many great podcasts. One that might interest you is a podcast where people learn on-the-job skills with internship opportunities. All right. I think that will be very helpful for many people. Uh, Listen to stories each week about people meeting their heroes and learning from them this week we meet locksmith mark naletti as he learns how to break into homes better than before with some tips from the black box and their shared electronic skills listen to breaking into electronic boogaloo on the pastepot patreon <laughs> podcast network oh james b what a name for that podcast <laughs> well done to those people Goodbye. Bye. What was the last time we said something good about Doctor Strange, James B.? <laughs> I do like that Spider-Man acknowledges something like, it's a wonder I was able to do anything for the last couple of po books with all these jinx True. powers affecting me. I could have, I'm lucky I was able to, to pull off what I pulled off. Right. Because he's, so. what does he flip a coin in a thousand times or something? Any other 179 times he flips it. <laughs> yes. He loses every time. <laughs> he's like, something's wrong. Here. <laughs> what a day. <laughs> 179 flips before he figures it out. At what point, if you were flipping a coin, would you realize something's wrong? How many flips would it take you, Eddie, before you're like, something's up? Probably like 15. I'd go all the way to 15. Okay. I think that, yeah, I, I agree. 10 to 20 at tops. Then I'm like, I'm putting the coin down and walking away. Like, this, this is, yeah. you know. I don't know what's going on.